0: This is the Emergency Medical Minute, sponsored by Mile High Ambulance. All right, guys. Good morning. So last night, my wife and I had uh, dinner with uh, two couple, a couple friends of ours who are both architects. And I was talking about having to do this talk this morning, and I told them that I was going to do it on architectural emergencies. A very quick Google search told me that was going to be a terrible talk. Turns out, architects are some of like the healthiest, happiest people they're most attractive like any superlative you could you could guess they have it if you google architecture emergencies cuz obviously at some point this did turn to google you get something called emergency architecture, which is just like the design of basically emergency departments and healthcare structures to be more efficient. On top of that, if you go far enough on Google, it starts to talk about how like will architecture improve your health? And how like if you if you design a building well enough, will people be happier and therefore healthier in their lives? So not only are architecture architects rather doing really well themselves, they're helping all of us do better uh, too. So no architecture emergencies. Today we're going to talk about nerve blocks. Last weekend I did help do some education up at Colorado ASEP, which was set in Beaver Creek. Pulled together a bunch of emergency doctors from all over the state and we kind of talked through different topics. And the one that I helped teach was uh, ultrasound and specifically uh, nerve blocks, ultrasound guided nerve blocks. A lot of the data that we use to to show that nerve blocks are effective, we extrapolate from the data that we have for fascia iliaca blocks, which is probably the ones that we're the most familiar with here at Swedish. The hip blocks that we do for patients who have hip fractures, and we do them before they go upstairs for hospitalization and ultimate uh, surgical correction. The data that we have on that is pretty strong. There's, you know, been a lot of studies that have been done over the last 10 or so years showing that not only do these nerve blocks decrease pain, they decrease total morphine equivalents that patients need while they're in the hospital. They help mobilize patients earlier, so start their physical therapy earlier, and then ultimately the uh, the endpoint that a lot of orthopedics really care about. They help patients leave the hospital about a day early, which is an incredible outcome. You'll look at different lengths or durations of action based on different uh, types of local anesthetics. The one that we use most frequently is bupivacaine. Bupivacaine is great because it's nice and long-acting. It's even better if we can pair it with epinephrine. And bupivacaine without epinephrine, or sorry, with epinephrine, typically will last uh, about five to 15 hours just for the anesthesia that it provides, but the analgesia, meaning how long the patient can remain pain-free or have a decreased level of pain, is thought to be all the way out to about 30 hours. So these patients actually get a ton of relief from these procedures. So they can be a pain in the butt to set up sometimes, and they can, you know, drag us away from other things that we want to be doing, but they actually really help improve uh, outcomes. One of the outcomes that we really care about here in the emergency department is that the total number of morphine equivalents that patients are discharged on from the hospital after they've had their surgical correction um, is less in patients who got a nerve block, even as far back as, as their ED visit. So at the very, very beginning of their hospitalization. So these are incredible outcomes. A lot of the data that we have is really uh, encouraging. And then we use that data to extrapolate to other types of blocks. You may have seen some of the ESP blocks we do in the back that can help give rib anesthesia. There's a handful of other ones we'll use in the department, but those tend to be the, the two big ones. One of the feared complications of using a local anesthetic is something called local anesthetic systemic toxicity, and it's where you've got one of these medications in a spot it doesn't belong. There's sort of three ways that that can happen. One way is um, you can just use too much on the front end, so the doctors and pharmacists are always working really hard to make sure that we're using safe doses on these. The other thing is you can inject a, a large amount of this into a confined space, and the thought is that you get just a bunch of venous uptake all at one time because the space is so confined. And then the last way is you don't know where your needle tip is and you end up accidentally injecting this directly into a vessel and a lot of that medication gets circulated uh, in the bloodstream. The signs, so we obviously know that we're using this to help with nerves and nerve pain. And so one of the signs that you've done this or that you've ended up in a, at a place of uh, local anesthetic systemic toxicity is that you have um, some tingling, some perioral or tingling around the mouth. That's one of the early signs. This can progress to kind of stupor, coma and eventually seizure. But we also remember that like medications like lidocaine are cardiovascular medications. And so the end point of this is cardiovascular collapse, and these patients can also go into arrest. The treatment for it is uh, something called intralipid. It's this like milky substance, it looks pretty gross. We stock it in the department. And that's really important because if these patients are allowed to progress all the way to cardiovascular collapse, anecdotally from ex- anesthesia, Um, they're really difficult to get back. I've seen this once, I saw it in my fellowship. I was on an anesthesia day actually, so I saw it in the pre-op area. And this kind of newer anesthesiologist had injected accidentally directly into a vessel. And the patient ended up having a seizure there in the pre-op bay. And thankfully their protocols are really robust. Somebody called for the intralipid right away. They gave it, and then I learned a couple of things afterwards. One is that there's a bolus and a drip. So these patients all then need to be admitted. And the second thing is interlipid works by basically hanging on to all of that local anesthetic and not allowing it to circulate and cause problems, say, at the heart or at the brain. And so it's really important that it holds on to that local anesthetic really tightly. Some of the medications that we use for general anesthesia can disrupt that bond and can allow some of that to circulate again. And so it's really important you don't give any more local anesthetic, obviously, after this happens. And also, these patients cannot go undergo general anesthesia for the foreseeable future. I can't remember how long they have to wait before they're, they're safe for anesthesia again. But basically, it turned this patient who was coming in basically just to have their knee cleaned out and then go home hopefully that afternoon. Not only did they have to be admitted, but they actually couldn't get their surgery. So it's a big deal. Obviously we don't want to cause anyone to arrest. It's one of the reasons if we're doing these blocks, we like them to be brought back to one of the APOD rooms. We like to keep them on a monitor. If you ever see somebody who's getting local anesthetic and they start to get any of that perioral numbness, just go grab the doc, have them kind of take a look at them and kind of avoid any more local anesthetic until somebody has a chance to do an eval. Any questions? Okay. Yeah. Let's have a good day. Okay. Good team. Go. We are going to have a good day. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Health One Continental Division, and Swedish Medical Center for their financial contributions to the EMM. Donations from them and listeners like you make it possible for us to fulfill our mission of producing and spreading free medical education to the masses. If you enjoy our show, please consider making a one-time or recurring donation to help cover our operational costs and keep the EMM awesome. Click on the link in our show notes to make a donation. Thank you for listening.